0: No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: What would you say they're worth?
2: That's hardly the point, is it, Harold?
0: Oh, now,
1: don't tell me the poor little rich girl is getting all sentimental.
2: No, Harold, not sentimental. It just occurred to me that a girl doesn't get married every day. I suppose that most brides reflect on their wedding presents with a certain amount of sentimentality. It's really the thought behind the gift, not its cash value.
1: Well, that's quite a speech for you. Having regrets?
2: I haven't much say in the matter, have I? So let's forget the whole thing. I'll be back for tea if anyone asks about me. Where are you going? I have an appointment with a man at 33 Half Moon Street.
3: No bells for the bride. She was a beautiful girl, and her pale, wan expression added to her beauty. There was a sad, wistfulness about her—not at all what one might expect from a twenty-year-old girl on the threshold of matrimony. She announced herself in a quiet, subdued voice, and once having heard her name, I suddenly knew all about her. No, I'm—I'm I'm no psychic. Her whirlwind romance and sudden betrothal had covered the front page of every newspaper in England. It was rumoured that her father was a multimillionaire. She confirmed the rumour.
2: My father's Jeremy Peyton, the shipping magnate. I'm June. Could I send for some tea, Miss Payton? No, thank you, Mr. Mason. I shan't be staying long. A, a friend recommended your firm to me, and I just popped round to see if you could supply me with a bodyguard. A bodyguard? <laughs> it does sound melodramatic, I know... But the fact is, father and friends have gone to an enormous expense over my forthcoming wedding. The wedding presents alone are worth a king's ransom. We have guards employed, of course, security men and so on. But I I felt I ought to have someone of my own. Some trustworthy man who could keep an eye on me and the wedding paraphernalia. And who wouldn't be known to all the other watchmen in the grounds of the house.
3: Oh, well, we can supply such a man. For how long would you need his services?
2: Just three days until the wedding. Are you staying at McClue House? How did you know? Uh, The name of your house, you mean?
3: Well, it's been in all the papers.
2: yes, of course, silly of me. Yes, Mr. Mason, I'm staying at Buclew. The man would have to stay too. I'll have Mrs. Willemey, the housekeeper, fix him up with a room. I'd actually like him to drive me back this afternoon. I I said I'd be home in time for tea.
3: All right. Excuse me a minute. Send in Cannon if he's there, will you? Thank you. Cannon is one of my best operators. He's an American and knows his job thoroughly. I'll tell him that he's to be your personal guard at all times and never to let you out of his sight whilst you're in the grounds of clue House.
2: And that'd be perfect, Mr. Mason. Cannon, did you say? Yes, Cannon. Yeah. You drive very well, Mr. Cannon.
4: Well, oh, thank you. That's what the Chief says, Miss
2: Payton. That you drive well?
4: Yeah, that I drive in crazy. <laughs> say, you'd, uh, you'd better watch it. Watch what? What's the first time you left since I got the job as your chaperon?
2: Is it? Oh, dear. I suppose I must cut a rather rueful picture for an about-to-be bride. It's nerves, I suppose.
4: Oh, don't no, ask me. I never got married. I'm not the nervous time.
2: No, I bet you're not. Mr. Mason said a nice thing about you. He did? He said you were one of his best operators.
4: Oh, then my guess is this job's going to take a few days.
2: Three, to be exact.
4: I knew it. Every time the chief gets me out of the way for a few days, he's in a good mood. And that's the only time he's free with his compliments. (laughs) Snap.
2: I laughed twice. (laughs) Yes, you're right. I have been a little depressed. I I don't know why I'm talking to you like this. You must be terribly bored with my prattle.
4: No, I never get bored in the company of a beautiful lady, even if she is about to walk up the aisle with another guy.
2: You're very nice, Mr. Cannon. And it does help to be able to talk to someone. You know something? The clue is always crowded with people, and yet it's the loneliest place on earth.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, what's he like?
2: Hmm?
4: This fellow you're getting hitched to?
2: Harold? Oh, well, he's a man about town, you know. I'm sure you've heard of him. Harold Tyson, polo player, racing driver.
4: No, no, I, uh, I'm just not the social type, I guess. Uh, tell me something, how many guests will you have at this wedding? About a thousand. Holy catfish, a thousand? That's some wedding.
2: Now you know why I'm so nervous and highly strung. Do I? It's possible to perceive too much, Mr. Ken.
4: Okay, I'm back in my place, ma'am. Uh, tell me about this car instead.
2: Haven't you seen one before?
4: Oh, sure, from a distance, but I've never driven in one.
2: It's a Stanza Landon.
4: Yeah, I know that, but uh, why is the back divided from the front?
2: Oh, it's meant to have a chauffeur where you are and any other servant where I am. The passengers sit behind the glass screen.
4: Uh, with curtains drawn. Nice and cozy and private. Uh, But what happens if uh, they want to give the driver an instruction?
2: They can use the intercom. It's right by your left hand. Uh, You mean uh, this thing here? Mm -hmm, That's right. It's always on talkback, so the passengers can hear you, but you can't hear them.
4: Oh, a sort of butler and footman uh, security (laughs) (laughs) switch.
2: Like to see it work? Sure. Well, pull up and I'll get in the back. Okay. Don't drive. I'll rejoin you in the front after I've talked to you on the intercom. I get claustrophobia shut up in there. Uh, Hang on. Cannon, take me for a drive to Fortnum and Mason.
4: Yes, my lady, but uh, could we make it just Fortnum? Mason is my boss's name, and if he saw me now, I'd get fired.
2: (laughs) Drive on, my man.
4: Uh, Yes, your ladyship. Uh, Say, can I uh, open her up on the bypass?
2: (laughs) Of course. Be careful. It's a very powerful car.
4: I shall be absolutely reckless. After all, I might never get the chance to drive in one of these things again. I
2: think you will, Mr. Cannon. I think you will.
4: Who's that you brought back with you?
2: Another guard.
1: (laughs) Great Scott, what for? This place has already got more guards than an army barracks.
2: It's a personal guard for me.
1: (laughs) Serious, June? What on earth do you want a personal guard for?
2: Father thought it might be a good idea.
1: Then that's different, of course. Papa's word is law.
2: You don't make any bones about why you're marrying me, do you? Should I? It's one thing to be a cad, quite another to be (laughs) ill-mannered.
1: cad? That's a good word. I haven't heard that used since I was sent down from Oxford. Now, what's Papa worried about, anyway? Does he think you might be kidnapped and held to ransom...
2: I'm already being held to ransom, Harry. No,
1: don't uh, don't get all mushy again. Anyway, I can't see that you have much to complain about. In our circle, marriages are usually arranged, and I am reckoned to be quite an eligible bachelor around London.
2: Yes, aren't you just? Except that I've never even seen most of the cases in London that you frequent.
1: You're building up for a row, dear.
2: <sighs> no, Harold, no row. There's no fight left in me anymore. <laughs> what's so funny
1: <laughs> I was reading the morning courier before you came back <laughs> oh, you should have seen their leader page romance comes to clue a long dirge about our wonderful wedding you know it occurred to me that that writer would have a fit if he saw us now
2: you should go into the advertising business you're certainly a great one for publicity
1: Well, oh, you really think so Well, don't worry too much about it, June, dear. With all the boodle I'll have in three days' time, I intend to buy myself a regatta special and race it at Le Mans. It's a very fast car, and I could easily write myself off. (laughs) So you see, there's every chance that you might be a widow before you're hardly married.
2: You're a sadistic beast. If you'll excuse me, I have a chore to do.
1: There's nothing left to do. I've checked all the wedding presents and uh, had a conference with the reception organisers.
2: I have to show the new guard his duties. Mrs. Winningmead would have given him his quarters by now. I'd like to show him the grounds.
1: Mind if I come along?
2: I'd rather you didn't. He has a great sense of perception, and he's an outsider. I'd hate anyone to get the idea into their heads that there's no romance at all in our blessed union. The face
1: of an angel and the tongue of a viper. Very well, my dear. If those are your sentiments, I'll adjourn to the billiards room. (laughs) Your father has a footman with a penchant for snooker. Not quite as good as me. In fact, I've already taken 30 bob off him.
2: You're gambling with the servants now. Oh, well, I might have known. I'll see you for a cocktail before dinner.
1: What's the name of this private eye of yours?
2: Cannon. Mr. Cannon. Mr. Cannon? Yeah. Mr.
4: Cannon? Yeah. Uh, Wow. You really look something.
2: I've said that every day for the last three days you've been here.
4: Yeah, but I uh, I never saw you in a wedding gown before.
2: Like you, Mr. Cannon, I've never been married before.
4: But uh, what are you doing back here? Aren't you supposed to be with the bridesmaids or something?
2: Yes, I'm going back now, but there's something you must do. Just name it. I, I want you to get the stanza from the garage and take it around to the west, place. You remember that little gate on the other side of the terrace I showed
4: you? I know it, but uh, what do I do for a key? Here.
2: That's the key to Spencer. And that's the key to the garage.
4: What's all the mystery?
2: No mystery. The police just rang and said the route to the church is jammed with people and that a few hundred marches are converging on us here. Marches? There's been a bad strike at the Father's factories.
4: Well, that's, uh, that's tough on, the, on your wedding day, too.
2: Oh, never mind. The uneasy lies the head and all that. Now, you know what you have to do?
4: Sure, get the spanzer and wait by the west gate. But uh, who do I wait for?
2: It's just a precaution. Wait here until you get word from me. Now, off you go and don't talk to anyone.
4: Mum's the word, ma'am, but uh, you sure do look like a million dollars.
2: Thank you. Now,
4: off you go. I'm on my way. Miss, Miss Pratton, what gives? Why are you here?
2: I'll explain. Just let me get in the back behind the curtains. <coughs> can you hear me, Mr. Cannon? Sure, I can. All right. Now, drive out along Weber Road.
4: Drive? But uh, what about the bridesmaids and your father?
2: The trouble at the factory is serious. Please do as I ask. Start now.
4: Okay, but this sure is a mm-hmm. wacky wedding. You okay in the back there?
2: Yes. Now, you must drive along Weber, until you come to Smith Street. There you turn right. I'll show you the route when you've got there, far. Please, hurry, Mr. Cannon.
4: Whatever you say, but that's not the route to the church.
2: I noticed. We're all converging from different points. It'll be all right once we're at the church.
4: Uh, don't you think I should stop and buy some silk ribbon?
2: No, don't snarl, Mr. Cannon. It's just here that you turn... A little cottage with a red roof here on the left. I want you to stop there for
4: a minute. At the cottage? Yes. Uh, may I ask why?
2: I just want to tell a friend what's happening
4: quickly. Oh, boy, this is worse than a shotgun, lady. Uh, that the place there? Yes.
2: Uh-huh. All right, pull up.
4: How long will... Say, what happened to your wedding gown? What goes on?
2: I had a bag packed in the back of the car already. Please don't ask any questions, Mr. Cannon. What I told you about Father's factory wasn't true. Not a word of it. I just made it up on the spur of the moment. But the wedding... There isn't going to be any wedding, Mr. Cannon. In fact, as from now, there isn't going to be any me.
4: Space to hang and dry your washing? Washline distributors have the solution. Their rotating and fold down wash lines take up the smallest spaces. Ideal for townhouses, simplexes, and balconies at affordable prices. Galvanized or powder coated and available in five different colors. For 24 hour delivery, installation, reliable, and friendly service, phone Washline Distributors on 011 792 2486. That's 011 792 2486. Washlines for every space and need. The
3: following classic Springbok Radio commercial comes to you with a courtesy of the Springbok Radio Preservation Society of South Africa.
1: New Pepsodent has Earlium, an amazing discovery that actually polishes teeth so sparkling clean and white dulling film can't find a hole. Feel the difference with your tongue.
4: You wonder where the
1: darkness Then you polish your teeth with fernsauce so- New Pepsident, the white toothpaste you can feel working for. Pepsodent, Pepsident,
3: Pepsident. Cannon watched June Peyton run through the cottage garden and disappear round the back. Then, his wits returned, he leapt from the stanza and chased after her. But Miss Peyton had planned her escape carefully. A parallel road ran along the back of the cottage, and Cannon had barely reached the front gate when a powerful engine burst into life and a green sports car swung out and roared away along the black ribbon of road. June Peyton at the wheel. Cannon returned to McClue to pandemonium.
1: What in blazes has happened to the girl? Now, look here, Harold. If you two have some kind of full practical joke, I'll cut you both off without a penny. I'm as bewildered as you are, sir. I've asked the chambermaids if they've seen her, but all they say is the same thing. They haven't. Look, She was dressed in her wedding gown, ready to leave, and that's the last anyone saw her. Now, look here. The, the girl just can't disappear into thin air, man. I mean, don't be such a dolt. I don't know what to say, sir. Well, I do. You should never have stayed in McClure last night. It's supposed to be bad luck if the groom spends his pre-marriage night under the same roof. Not that I'm superstitious, but blast it, man! I mean, there's a thousand people waiting out there. Not to mention heaven knows how many of my employees. Why didn't you spend the night at the local tavern? The footman's luck changed. What's that? Well, I, no, I, I, well, I, I didn't bring my checkbook, sir. Checkbook? Oh, a use your checkbook would be, even if you brought it. I'll take the riding crop to that girl when I find oh, her. steady on, sir. Now, yes. don't you argue with me, young fellow. I'll horse whip you, too. Look, a bodyguard. What's that? That's a personal bodyguard coming across the lawn. What the blazes are you talking about, sir? The personal bodyguard you organize for us, sir. I organize? Personal bodyguard? Have you taken leave of your senses? That man crossing the lawn, sir, his name's Cannon. June told me that you'd engage his services as a personal bodyguard to her. I did no such thing. You didn't? I said so, didn't I? Then why did. Excuse me, sir. Cannon? Cannon, uh, over here? I have an nasty feeling that we're about to get to the bottom of this mystery, sir.
4: Mr. Tyson? Where's Miss Payton? She's gone. Gone? Where? Search me. What is this fellow talking about? Uh, This is Mr. Jeremy Payton, the bride's father. How do you do, sir? Mm. Who are you? Well, the name's Cannon, of Assignments Unlimited. I was engaged as a personal bodyguard to Miss Peyton. Oh, you were, you? And uh, who engaged you, may I ask? Uh, Miss Peyton herself. I'll get the police. Have this man locked uh, up.
1: J- j- just a moment, sir. Do you mind if I have a word with Cannon in private? Not for? Arm? Well, I think it might be better for all concerned I might be able to clear this up with you and even find June. Look. Then hurry up, young man, and be quick, if I be made a fool of you, will rue the day, all of you. Uh, over here, Cannon. All right. What happened?
4: Well, uh, Miss Bacon asked me to bring the Spanzer round to the Westgate. I did, and she arrived in her wedding gown alone. She told me some cock-and-bull story about a strike in her father's factory and how everybody was going to the church from different directions because the workers were in an ugly mood. Well, I saw no reason to disbelieve her. Uh, I'm employed by her anyway. So we drove off to a cottage off Smith Street. Red Roof? Yeah. Then what happened? Well, she traveled in the back with the curtains drawn. When we got to the cottage, she changed into day clothes. She ran through the cottage garden and drove off in a sports car.
1: What color sports car? Green. Oh, it's hers. (laughs) So the bride ran out on me. (laughs) Well, here's one for the books. I just can't wait to see old Peyton's face when he finds out.
4: A thousand guests. You're uh, not concerned about the young lady? Of course I'm concerned. that would be impertinent. Don't you either. I'm not in your employ, buddy. And from what I've seen since I've been walking on the lawns of Bucleu, I'd just as soon punch you on the nose as look at you.
1: Fair enough. I might take you up on that one day, but not now. Look, Cannon, I'll uh, I'll go and break the news to the old man. And when he's recovered from his apoplexy, I'll join you in the billiard room for a drink. Why? Well, the girl ran out on me. I want to know why. (laughs) Conceit seems to be your strong point. I don't mean that, you fool. If she didn't want to marry me, why didn't she say so in the first place? Why go to all this trouble and then run out of me on the last minute? She didn't do it on the spur of the moment in a fit of nerves. She planned it. She planned it very carefully. Do you know that she told me her father had engaged you as a bodyguard? You don't say. I do say. Can you imagine what this will mean? The old man will cut her off without a penny. He'll be fit to do murder... Well, she must have known... ...so that she's deliberately
4: committed economic suicide. It sounds crazy to me too, Tyson... ...but this is where I came in and this is where I moved right on. No, oh, no, it's not. You failed in your duty. I did no such thing. You did.
1: You were engaged as her bodyguard. All right. Where's the body? I'll tell you where. Flown. And you're going to help me find her. And bring her back? After what she's done to that money-grabbing, miserly old pompous skinfin of a father of hers... ...she won't ever dare show her face in here again... Now, will you help me find her, Cannon?
4: But, uh, I mean, what use is she to you without a penny in the world? No, it's you who's asking for a punch on the nose. Touche. Well, I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Okay, Tyson, I'll help you to find her. But finding
3: Miss Peyton was easier said than done. she disappeared into thin air. Cannon began by trying to trace the whereabouts of her green sports car, only to find that she'd made arrangements for its sale days before she left the car with the dealer, signed the documents, and walked out into the wide world without so much as a backward glance. Harold Tyson became more and more agitated as the days passed, without a sign of his ex-fiancée, and he suggested that we contact the police. They were loath to cooperate since, well, Miss Peyton had passed her 21st birthday, since her sudden disappearance, and her father, Jeremy Peyton, refused to request the services of the law. As far as he was concerned, his daughter was as good as dead. He certainly never wished to set eyes on her again. Cannon got his first break one day whilst pacing
4: the office floor. Assignments Unlimited.
1: Is that Five Double 5995? Yep, it is. A personal call has been booked for a Mr. Cannon at this number from a Miss June Payton. The time is for three o'clock. Can Mr. Cannon take the call then?
4: Uh, June Payton, yeah, yeah, sure I can take it then.
1: One hour and twenty minutes, sir. Thank you.
4: Hey, uh, uh... Well, Oh, too late, confound it.
3: Who was it, Cameron?
4: A personal call coming through for me in an hour and 20 minutes from June Payton. Well, where's she ringing from? I forgot to ask. Well, ring the exchange and they'll tell you. Oh, so they will. I'm going nutty. The brain box doesn't work right anymore. Oh, well, I'll do it for you.
3: Uh, Miss Fairweather, uh, there's a personal call coming through for Mr. Cameron. Uh, let's see, it's uh, three o'clock. Find out from the exchange where he's coming from and let me know. Right?
4: As easy as that.
3: Well, what'll you do? Uh, any advice, Chief? Well, it's your business, Cameron. Assignments Unlimited left the case when the three days were up at McClue.
4: Mm. Well, if it's a trunk call, she must be quite some distance out from London. If I tell him now where she is, he might have time to drive down there and find her before she has a chance to dodge off again. Then why don't you do that? The Exchange will have the answers to your query in a few minutes. But how do I know she wants to see
3: him? Well, from what you've told me, Harold Tyson is the last man on earth she wants to see right now.
4: Yeah, but you know, Chief, I've got a hunch. I don't know why, but there's something awful screwy about this setup. I mean, take Tyson, he's a changed man. He couldn't give a fig about that dame when she had stacks of loot. And now that she's flat broke, he's he's mourning after like a sick calf. <laughs> well, love, I'm told, is a peculiar emotion. Yeah, it's downright odd.
3: Yes, Miss Faraday. Oh, just a minute. I'll take that down. Beckensfield Hotel, Oxford. Yes, yes, I have got it, thank you. Get it?
4: Yeah. That's where he went to university. The Beckensfield Hotel? Oh, no, Oxford. He got sent down, June Payton told me. Oh, quite a rake, Mr. Tyson. Guess so.
3: Well, it's no good just sitting around there, can, and do one thing or the other. Yeah,
4: but if only I could be sure she'd still be at the hotel after she's spoken to me on the phone. Well, you can't, can you? If I can tell him now... He can make it while she's still on the phone to me. Well, it's quite a drive, you know. Yeah, but he's some driver. Pilot's machine's at Lamoon. A courageous rake. No, I suppose so. Okay, here goes. One, two, three, six... Tyson here. Tyson, this is Cannon. You feel like a fast drive? Where to? On your own to the Beaconsfield Hotel, Oxford. Can you make it in under an hour?
1: With wings.
4: Then so on some feathers, Sonny. That's where June Payton is. Assignments unlimited. Is that five double 5995? Yep, Cannon speaking. You're call to Oxford. Speak up, please. Thank you. Hello? Mr.
2: Cannon?
4: Hi. Where have you been all my life?
2: I just had to ring you to explain. I thought it was rather a dirty trick running out on you like that.
4: Can you forgive me? Well, there's uh, nothing to forgive. I just wondered why you did it. Uh, so does Harold Tyson.
2: He was only interested in me for my money.
4: You yeah, was, is right. No more. Now that you are broke, he's only interested in you for you. How can you be sure? Well, uh, take a look behind you. <gasps> so long, Miss Payton. Oh, and by the way, if you and Harry want to know how to make an honest buck, might I suggest that you take up novel writing and get him to act as your publicity agent? Novels? You're a great girl, Junie. But you're also the biggest liar I ever met. You see,
3: June Payton was in love with Harold Tyson all the time, and he with her. The barrier between them was the fabulous wealth of her father. June knew that she could never be happy with Harold under the shadow of an arranged marriage, so she decided to test him under the severe conditions of poverty. She planned everything to the smallest detail, and her gamble came off. Oh, she didn't have to write novels for a living... Old Jeremy Payton got lonely in that great rambling house, and so he forgave them both. His daughter's plan brought out the best in him, too.